Welcome back everyone to Beyond Reason. I'm Gage Dansby and uh, today, well, do we have an action-packed day for you. The first thing I want to talk about, the NBA trade deadline. Now, I talked about NBA news in the past, but there's a lot of stuff that went on in the span of just one day, so let's dig right into it. First off, the Cleveland Cavaliers. I guess LeBron James went up to management and said, okay, obviously stuff isn't working, we're on an eight-game losing streak, we need to make a bunch of changes. And boy, did the Cavs take that to heart. So strap in, this is all of the stuff that went down in a matter of one day. First off, Isaiah Thomas to Los Angeles. Not the Clippers, the Lakers. He's going to play with Lonzo Ball and everyone over at the Lakers. I'm sure that LeVar Ball is jumping up and down as long as, of course, Lonzo is still the starter and he's not becoming Isaiah's backup, which, of course, will not happen. If that does, that is just a horrible, horrible move for Isaiah Thomas, and that just has to be demeaning to him. So the Lakers, they get Isaiah Thomas and Channing Frye, and then I believe a draft pick, for Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson. So, I mean, statistically, I mean, I guess that's not bad. Isaiah Thomas is coming off of a hip injury. He's still shaky. His Cavs career, short as it was, was not the best thing that the Cavs have ever seen by any stretch of the imagination. I'm sure they would love to have Kyrie Irving back at this point, who, by the way, is probably laughing his behind off as we speak at the trade deadline when he's seeing the Cavs basically self-implode. So, recap of that LA deal. Isaiah Thomas, Channing Frye to the Lakers for Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance. Then, we have other trades. We have a three-team deal of involving the Sacramento Kings and the Utah Jazz. So, Utah is going to send Joe Johnson over to Sacramento. Utah is going to get Jay Crowder and Derrick Rose from Cleveland. And then George Hill is going to go from Sacramento to Cleveland. So I believe that George Hill, that's a great pickup. I think he's one of the most underrated point guards in the league. Can't wait to see what he's able to put forth in Cleveland. I think statistically that's going to be a very good move, especially with Derrick Rose uh, not contributing basically at all to Cleveland. Now, Jay Crowder. Honestly, hasn't done much. I mean, he averaged single-digit points per game, had a couple of rebounds. So, I mean, he was okay on defense, uh, but no better than Tristan Thompson, who I'm honestly surprised that they didn't trade him after all this went down. They needed to get rid of Tristan Thompson. He is not performing nearly well enough for his contract. So, George Hill going to Cleveland. Derrick Rose, he's going to Utah. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do anything there. He's just being traded around just because of his name at this point. He's not performing at all. He's not doing anything that's really in high regard or people are going, whoa, I need to have that guy on my team. It's more of, oh yeah, he was a big name a few years ago. Hopefully his knee can heal up and not buckle underneath him and then maybe he can have a couple of nice points for us. Be good six man. But we're not done yet. Dwayne Wade is going back to Miami, his hometown, back to the 305. And he got traded for a first-round pick in 2024. 2024, that is six years from now. What the heck are the Cavs doing? Now, you might be thinking to yourself exactly that, but after some thinking, 
Now this is way out there, so bear with me here. But LeBron's oldest son is currently in eighth grade. He will be in the NBA draft, assuming that he's only going to stay one year in college, in 2024. And I'm sure that the Cavs would love to pick up LeBron's son when he joins the league. So, in actuality, did Dwayne Wade just get traded back to the Miami Heat for LeBron's son, who is currently an 8th grader? An 8th grader. They're going to have to wait 6 years to see if anything comes of this, but... Obviously, Wade wasn't pulling enough weight for the Cavs. LeBron was getting upset, so they had to clean house. But they needed to make some more moves, in my opinion, not just the moves that they already done. So, even though the Cavs theoretically cleaned house, they gave away half of their roster, uh, the general management office and Colby Altman were definitely busy on the trade deadline day, but there's still some players that are hanging around in Cleveland that I'm surprised that even stayed there in the first place. J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson. J.R. Smith hasn't been doing much. Have you heard anything about him lately? Usually he's occasionally, I wouldn't say frequently, he's not like complete superstar status like LeBron, Curry, you know, Westbrook, stuff like that, but he's in the headlines enough where if he has a good game, you'll definitely be able to know about it. Have you heard any news about him this season at all? Anyone? No. No, you haven't. As a reference, this season, he's averaging about 8 points per game, 3 rebounds. 3 rebounds a game, 2 assists per game, field goal percentage of 38, 36% from 3. For a guy that's supposed to never miss up his shots, that's pretty bad if you ask me. Career-wise, he's averaging about, now from a career perspective, 13 points per game, 2 assists per game, assists, okay, not that great. 42% field goal percentage, so I mean... He's a little better in the rest of his career than he is this year. He just... He isn't doing much. I'm surprised that for the contract that he's under, that the Cavs were willing to keep him and then trade away some of the other players that they had. Why not if they were just cleaning house, add him into the mix, see if anyone wanted J.R. Smith. Heck, the Cavs were really interested in uh, DeAndre Jordan. Why couldn't they throw J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson, send him over to the Clippers? get DeAndre Jordan. I, I assume that's an okay trade. I mean, the Clippers already got Tobias Harris and another guy from the Pistons after that Blake Griffin trade. So, I mean, they definitely have some room to grow and try new things, especially since they give away what was assumed to be their best player. No offense, Jordan. But then we go to Tristan Thompson. Now, this man was supposed to be the saving grace on defense for the Cavaliers, okay? This guy was supposed to average double-digit rebounds per game, you know, absolutely tenacious on defense, just absolutely fantastic inside the paint. Not only that, but he's able to put up some good shots, be very aggressive down on the floor, compliment LeBron, and spread out the floor pretty nicely. So, in his career... He averages about 9 points per game, 8.5 rebounds per game, and field goal percentage of about 52%. This season, he averages about 6 points per game and 6 rebounds per game. 
Field goal percentage is a little better, but he's playing much, much less minutes. So my question is, they gave Tristan Thompson a lucrative contract under the helm of LeBron because he insisted, oh man, Tristan's got to stay. He's got to stay. He's going to be our defensive messiah. We can't leave him. And this is what he's doing. Six rebounds per game. If he's supposed to be the defensive messiah that everybody is supposed to say, where's his blocking stats? I mean, his rebounds definitely need to be higher first off. Six rebounds per game, that's okay. It's not horrible. It's okay. It's reasonable. But for the amount of money that he's being paid, that needs to be double. He needs to average double digits. There's no excuse. He should just be able to grab those rebounds like nobody's business. You know what? Let's look at his salary info. See if it actually makes any sense. So, let's see. Yeah, that contract is hundreds of millions of dollars for, I'd say, a few years. I mean, and I'm just ballparking. That's that's nowhere near the... Thompson is not performing at the level that his contract is saying that he should perform at. I'm just going to leave that there. So, either, if it were my team, if I were Colby Altman in the general manager's office, or talking to Dan Gilbert, or whoever that they consult with over there in Cleveland, get rid of J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson. Get them out of here, and try and see if we can get an even fresher start to have LeBron with. I mean, you traded already half the roster or what's more than two extra players whose contracts are weighing you down, and I'm sure are going to be burdens on you when LeBron's contract is up later this year. So to wrap up this conversation, I'll just go through some of the other big deals that went down in the trade deadline besides the absolute hysteria that went around in Cleveland. So Toronto close to deal with Sacramento. Bruno Caboclo is going to head to Sacramento. Malachi Richardson is going to go over to Toronto. Uh, looks like the Minnesota Timberwolves are already trying to acquire Derrick Rose from the Utah Jazz. Boy, that was quick. Uh, if he is able to clear waivers um, and the Jazz are willing to release him, then we also have the Celtics, who are very quiet. They were very quiet uh, this trade deadline. Maybe that's just because um, they don't need to make any changes. They're one of the best teams in the East right now. Kyrie Irving is very happy. Gordon Hayward's going to be returning soon after his injury. So things are looking up over in Boston. I don't see why they need to do anything, really. So good for them. Good for Boston. And Portland, Portland Trailblazers, they're now under the luxury tax when ESPN says that Noah Vonley of the Trailblazers is heading to the Chicago Bulls for the rights to Milokin Rakovic, which will put them under the luxury tax. So Cleveland isn't going to be the only one going under the luxury tax um, this year. Uh, Portland's heading up there. Let's see if it pays off, gets them to the playoffs, gets them a nice run or else... Why be in the luxury tax in the first place if you're not going to win? Uh, Brooklyn, Orlando did some deals, but nothing really crazy. Uh, but I would say that the trade deadline was centered around Cleveland and its pick. So Isaiah Thomas over to the Lakers. That's going to be interesting. Uh, Isaiah Thomas probably would have... He should have known something 
went after LeBron and had that game winner um, last week, and he didn't celebrate with Isaiah Thomas. He just went to the other players and stuff like that. He should have known right then and there, yeah, I'm not going to be continuing to play on this team. There's something going on here. LeBron's going to trade me. He's going to suggest to trade me, and I'm going to be traded. But now we head over to one of the biggest events that goes on in the world every four years, or every two if you count winter and summer, the Olympics. 2018 Winter Olympics are underway in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Opening ceremony was Friday, January 9th, which was yesterday. So the Olympics are just heading underway. The events are going on right now. The first gold medal that was ever won in the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympics, the first gold medal to be handed out was a cross-country skier from Sweden for the female cross-country event, and that was Charlotte Kalla. But Mara Bjorgen of Norway, who came in second place, is now the most decorated female cross-country skiing athlete of all time with 11 medals, 6 gold medals, 4 silver, and 1 bronze. So congratulations to both of them. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the opening ceremonies that were last night. Uh, Everybody is looking at North Korea because, you know, they're uh, threatening nuclear war every couple of days and stuff like that they're not very friendly with the u.s or any of the surrounding countries and but to everyone's surprised they're sending athletes to the winter olympics 10 to be specific they're sending 10 athletes and they worked out with south korea they're actually going to be united under one korean flag that's surprising to me I'm surprised that South Korea and North Korea put their differences aside, and I know it's just the Olympics. It's not like, you know, a war alliance or anything like that. That's just stretching it. I mean, it's the Olympics. I'm guessing maybe it's just simple of solidarity, or North Korea is just trying to say, hey, uh, we're not going to try and cause any trouble, so in order to show that, South Korea, you want to join under one flag and just go to Korea? Yeah, sure. I guess South Korea just said yes to either... Um, a peace North Korea and they maybe they just didn't really care or maybe if they thought whoa if this is genuine this can be a really big step in diplomatic peace talks or three they really didn't want to but they decided to do it anyways because they didn't want North Korea to take it as offensive and then just worsen relations between the two so that's interesting but United flag doesn't mean that they're going to be any better athlete-wise because the Korean hockey team, the women's team, loses 8-0 to against Switzerland in day one. Yikes. So besides sending 10 athletes, 10 winter sports athletes, to the Olympic Games to uh, compete with South Korea under United Korean flag, North Korea also sent over, for lack of a better term, I know it's not the most politically correct term, cheerleaders. They sent over cheerleaders down to Pyeongchang in order to cheer on the North Korean athletes. 230 of them, to be precise. Listen to that ratio. 230. That is 23 cheerleaders for every North Korean athlete that is participating in the games. Either that is just extreme devotion and love for their athletes, or that is just overkill. There's nothing else to it. That is overkill. 230? Why? Why? Why do you need that much? 
and it only gets worse when you see the videos of these cheerleaders in action. So North Korea calls these group of cheerleaders the Army of Beauties. Kid you not, that's their official title, the Army of Beauties. And they came up with their own specific set of cheers and chants and songs in order to cheer on the North Korean competitors. So, when you look at the videos of these Army of Beauties, it is scary. Of course, everything has to be militant in North Korea because it's an authoritarian regime, so even cheering is scary. When they sing songs or when they clap, it is in perfect unison with each other. All 230 sing at the same time. Well, I mean, that's not the scary part, but they clap at the same time. Their movements are exactly the same. I mean, they all move as if they are one single person. It is mind-blowing to see this. I mean, everybody around in the arena where the figure skating events and the hockey events are going on where the North Korean cheerleaders are, they're just astounded. And they sing their songs and stuff like that over the planned entertainment that South Korea and other countries provide during the intermissions. So for example, South Korea was having a really famous group, an opera singer and a rapper, sing a couple of American songs and a couple of songs from their home country during the intermissions of a figure skating competition. All fine and dandy until the North Korean cheerleaders decided to sing over those acts with their own chants and cheers. Basically, they would go non-stop. They wouldn't let anyone, you know, steal their thunder away. So I don't know if this is like completely state-sanctioned and they were, North Korea was like, yes, we need you, Army of Beauties, to disrupt their entertainment. Don't let any entertainment go through. You need to make yourselves front and center. So is this basically just like a show of force to show that we got the best uh, cheerleaders in the world, essentially? I mean, is that what North Korea is trying to do here? Or is it just that scary and their training tactics are that militant that that's just, that's just how they are? They don't know any better. So, I mean, for the Army of Beauties, you got, you got to wonder, what are the other events that they had to cover? I mean, the Winter Olympics are probably going to be one of the biggest events that they're ever going to be a part of, um, ever. Other than, I mean, their other events are probably going to be just state-held events in North Korea. So probably that might be some military parades or something that uh, talks about the life of Kim Jong-un's great, great lost pet or something like that. I don't know. But... It just shocks me how different cultures, I mean, one of the great things of the Olympics is you're able to see different cultures combined, a diversity of all nations putting their differences aside and coming together to compete for the joy and, you know, love of sport. And that's what I love about the Olympics. And you see all of these different cultures collide. And then it just seems to me that the culture amongst North Korea whether it's the citizens' fault or not, maybe it's not their fault at all. 
just seems to vary and stand out so differently than the other cultures that are present. So now we're going to steer away from the Winter Olympics and we're going to talk about a little company over in Silicon Valley in California called SpaceX, the brainchild of Tesla founder Elon Musk, the, who at this point is either a mad genius, like an absolute genius and we just don't see it yet, or a deranged lunatic. There is no in-between at this point. He's gotten to the point where he's doing, many, doing so many like outlandish things that you're wondering, either you're questioning his sanity, or if he's just doing the Einstein method of doing crazy things and, and then turning out he's an absolute genius and we won't figure it out until years and years later. So, his latest venture, called the Falcon Heavy, which is a giant space shuttle that was launched at Kennedy Air Force Base in Florida over the weekend. No, not Kennedy Air Force Base, the Kennedy Space Center. My apologies. The Kennedy Space Center launched the Falcon Heavy rocket just this past weekend. And this rocket, to give you a comparison, is three times larger than any of the space shuttles that the Apollo, like the Apollo astronauts went on. Any of the Apollo missions, 11, 12, 18. It doesn't matter. Actually, there was no Apollo 18. The last one was 17. Apollo 18 is a horrible movie. But you get my point. So, the most powerful rocket by a factor of two, over five million tons of thrust, you get my point. This thing is an absolute beast. And they're sending it to Mars. And it's currently around orbit in Mars. And they're using the Falcon Heavy as a precedent to start a colonization on Mars by the year 2024. So Musk and his team gave a window of six years that says, oh yeah, we're going to be living on Mars. We're going to be living on Mars because the Earth is running out of resources. Yes, you are now in a science fiction movie. Holy crap. First off, if Musk is able to pull this off within the next six years... That's insane. You know I'm going to start saving enough to buy myself a ticket. I don't care how much it costs. Last time I heard about $200,000, he said he wanted it to be around the median income of, not the median income, the median, co median cost of a home in the United States. Awesome. All right, you know I'm going to start saving up for that. Imagine taking a spaceship to Mars to create a colony. There's so many things that have to go through it in order for that to happen in six years, which I think is an absolutely crazy time frame. I think that's way too short. If we go 2034, then it might be a little bit more reasonable. 2034, that gives them 16 years. That'll give them a bunch more time, you know, to lay out the land, send up some engineers and some scientists in order to make uh, habitats in order for us to breathe on Mars because... Remember, no air on Mars, so definitely going to be interesting, but the precious cargo on this Falcon Heavy rocket, which I don't know why, maybe he's just doing this for the giggles, and or maybe it's actually going to land on Mars and someone's going to drive it around, which would be absolutely baller. Elon Musk's personal Tesla Roadster car, along with a few astronauts, are on that Falcon Heavy rocket ship. The precious cargo is a car. They're sending a car 
which is not even scheduled to be out until 2020, into space, to Mars. Elon, chill. SpaceX, chill out, okay? You're doing what NASA said that they wouldn't be able to ever do, okay? NASA is looking at you right now, and probably some of their engineers are probably thinking, huh, I might as well leave this place, government funded, we're getting a bunch of budget cuts, let's head over to a private space company over in California. Guarantee you at least half of the engineers over at NASA are thinking that. And if you combine NASA and their engineers and their smarts and their expertise with the current people that are already at SpaceX, who must be really, really smart, mad geniuses over there because they're able to send a rocket with a car into space that's going to land in Mars and be a colony by 2024, allegedly. We could have space travel work before you know it, people. Sci-fi territory. We're in sci-fi territory right now. Matt Damon, The Martian, it's happening. All right, time for music. And the big thing that came out over the weekend is one, two chains released an EP, but no one really cares about that because the Black Panther album is out. The album that is curated by Kendrick Lamar and his record label Top Dog Entertainment released an album that is going to be the soundtrack of the Marvel movie Black Panther. And boy, oh boy, is it good. Like, fantastic. Let's let's find the uh, new releases here, new albums and singles. So let me give you some of the people that are on this besides Kendrick Lamar. So Kendrick Lamar has influence on every one of these songs. He curated the album. He might have voiceovers on some albums, or he might be part of the chorus of some other songs and stuff like that. But of course, we have Kendrick on a bunch of these songs. We have SCA. We got Schoolboy Q, Two Chains, Saudi, Khalid. Sway Lee, Vince Staples, Georgia Smith, Absol, Anderson Pack, James Blake, J Rock, Future, Sakari, Mozzie, Reason, and Travis Scott. I listened to this album yesterday when it came out, and I can tell you that there is not one bad song on here. If this is a soundtrack that is going to be played in the theater when Black Panther is doing his thing, King T'Challa, played by Chadwick Boseman, is doing his thing up there, kicking you know, kicking butts, taking names, is going to be one of the greatest Marvel movies of all time. Not just because of the content of the movie, but because of the music that's going to go with it. If this is the music that's going to be in the movie, I gotta buy a ticket to the midnight premiere. There's going to be no other way to watch it. You gotta watch this in the theater. This is going to be a great, great film. And Rotten Tomatoes already agrees with what I'm saying because it had a 100% from all of the reviewers on Rotten Tomatoes. They said it's one of the best Marvel movies ever made. It's a masterpiece. And then this one dude came in on Rotten Tomatoes who is a true critic. I mean, he is a certified critic. He writes for a newspaper and critiques movies. He's been doing it for years. But he gave Black Panther a 8 out of 10. Which, of course, that's still a pretty good score. I mean, 8 out of 10, it could be a lot worse than that. But he ruined the 100% score, which kind of got people mad, and they were like, okay, but why? And he said, because there wasn't enough violence. Kid you not. He said that T'Challa 
who is the main character in Black Panther, he is Black Panther, didn't beat up enough bad guys. That was actually in his critique that T'Challa didn't beat up enough bad guys. What? I get it, it's an action movie, but come on. You knock off two points on a ten-point scale because there wasn't enough bad guys being beat up? Seriously? There has to be something else to that. There has to be something else that he didn't agree with and he's just saying that? Or you don't dock down two points on a ten-point scale for that. Maybe it would go to... I mean, if it was really bad, maybe a nine and a half out of 10, maybe. And that's being on the low end, maybe a 9.8 out of 10 if you really want to get that specific. But I don't understand how you can dock down a movie for that. Maybe it's in, if it advertises itself as like an action-packed movie at every single second, and there will be non-stop violence. I, okay, I can get that. Maybe it's just misleading advertising at that point. But Black Panther didn't advertise itself as that. It advertised it as a culturally diverse Marvel movie that is changing the tide of what Marvel movies are. It never said anything about that about it being violence at every turn. I mean, look at this. When's the last time a popular rapper? And a whole bunch of these big names came together and created an album for a superhero movie. Never. Not Spider-Man. Not Iron Man. Iron Man just ripped off a bunch of old ACDC songs and put them on a soundtrack. That doesn't count. This is new. This is exciting. And I highly suggest you go see Black Panther. It comes out in the theaters February 16th, which is this coming Friday. I suggest you all go see it. I wanted to do something different on this podcast and end on an opinion piece. So I wanted to ask you about this and see what your thoughts are on this. So is it just me or are these whole smart assistant things a really bad idea? You see the advertisements all the time. Amazon had a really big commercial for theirs in the Super Bowl. You had the Amazon Echo. You got Google Home. Uh, Then you got Apple's HomePod that just came out. I think Sonos is working on an Uh, You know, that AI assistant, home assistant type of thing anyways. I mean, you know, those Bluetooth speakers that basically have a virtual assistant like Siri or Alexa or something built into them supposed to help you in your day-to-day activities. It sounds good in practice. I mean, it's supposed to help you do things, ask questions and stuff like that that you would usually be able to do to your phone, but if you don't have your phone on you, it's just nice to yell out and ask a question and get an answer. I get that, I get the convenience. However, what else is it listening into? I mean, it doesn't just automatically shut off after you you ask it a question and go, okay, my my job here is done, I'm just gonna shut off until the next question is asked or it's asking me to do a task. No, it's gonna be on 24-7, unless if you go over and physically shut it off. So what else is it recording? It's recording everything in your home. And let's say you have an Amazon Echo. That Echo, what makes you think that all of your family's conversations and the stuff that you have, you know, that you're just talking about on a normal basis are going to be stored in Amazon's cloud services to be able to listen to and have reference to? 
and it's going to start to get scary when it uses those conversations in order to suggest things of like, hey, I remember this conversation where it said you were out of paper towels. What if I go on Amazon and then order you a bunch of paper towels because, or suggest having you order a bunch of paper towels because I heard you have it in a conversation even though I wasn't part of it. That becomes scary. Okay, I know that a bunch of people might see that as convenient and I don't know. I just see that as scary. When these speakers are starting to learn you and are starting to predict what you're going to say next, I just go to like Terminator scenario, man. I mean, obviously I know that they're not going to like rise up and like try and kill us, but eventually... Science and technology has always been known to just push boundaries. They're always trying to progress and advance and continue to try and do things that were not previously possible. Now that can be good in some respects, but it can also be extremely dangerous if we go too far. And I think the problem is we don't know where the point of being too far is. I mean, we're creating artificial intelligence that's becoming smarter than us in some points. There's that robot that's over in the United Arab Emirates that's an artificial intelligence but acts and behaves like a human and actually has citizenship. That's creepy. And does anybody not think to themselves, okay, this is exactly what James Cameron tried to warn us about in the 1980s where if we give these artificial intelligence too much intelligence they'll become self-aware they'll try to kill us all and you know all of a sudden we have a real life terminator on our hands now i'm not saying that's going to happen like tomorrow or anything or maybe even in the next few years i believe that it's probably going to happen at some point in time as con as technology and science continues to advance but i don't think that's going to be extremely soon I just think that these devices like the Amazon Echo and Google Home are kind of the start to say, okay, we're starting to possibly get in that territory. We're not close to the end by any stretch. It's more of the beginning, but it's the beginning of artificial intelligence starting to know us and starting to understand us and listen in on everything and record all of our conversations. I know I sound paranoid, but that's just how I feel. I want to know how you felt and see if I was the only one out there. Well, anyways, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Beyond Reason. My name is Gage, Jan Gage Dansby, and I will see you all next week. Have a great week, everyone.